Greetings, pop pickers. Uh, welcome to the latest podcast from Electronic Sound. Um, we are going to be talking about Electronic Sound issue 47. We're edging towards issue 50, aren't we, that means? Yeah, and in February. Wow. <clears throat> um, 50, 50 issues. Gosh. So my name is Push and I'm the editor of Electronic Sound and I have with me Mark Rowland. Hello. Who is the deputy editor and Mr Neil Mason. Hello. Who is a commissioning editor? No, so I called you Mister, not and uh, not you, Mark. I'm sorry. Well, I, I deserve a bit of respect. I wasn't Randy. listening, so I didn't notice. Ah, excellent. Right. Well, you should have been listening. Um, so we are. Um, we're very orange this month, aren't we? We are so orange. We are almost an orange. None more orange. Because. Because we've done like a it. dirty, great big feature about Clockwork Orange. Yes. And Wendy Carlos. Yes. And a little bit about Stanley Kubrick. Um, we have, a, we have a big bowler-hatted fellow with a big yeah. eye on the cover. Yeah, it looks amazing. <laughs> it's so orange. Um, it's been Pete, some time in the making, this one, hasn't it? It certainly has. Yeah. It kind of stemmed from a theory I've always held that the Clockwork Orange soundtrack, as composed by Wendy Carlos, which contained the classic electronic piece time steps but also the, the electronic -y versions of uh, Beethoven um, <clears throat> and Purcell came at a certain point in certainly British history where a bunch of people who would be attracted to go to watch a film like this went to go and see it and then were blown away by the electronic soundtrack went and bought the, the album and that became a sort of foundation stone of British electronic music. And we spoke to, uh, well, I spoke to Martin Ware of Heaven 17 and of the Human League. And of course, Heaven 17 were um, named after a, one of the bands that are mentioned in the record shop that Alex in the Clockwork Orange goes to visit. So we knew that much. But sure enough, Martin Ware was a huge Clockwork Orange fan, huge Anthony Burgess fan, and um, was able to chat to us about just what it meant to them. Um, interestingly, I went to see Heaven 17 the other night. Did you? Very good, they were too. They were playing the Luxury Gap album, um, which didn't last that long, because you know, it's a 35, 40-minute album, and then yeah, they yeah. had to do a whole load of Penthouse and Pavement and a whole load of Human League stuff which is fabulous. They did the uh, You've Lost That Loving Feeling, but the human, they, they, it was a Heaven 17 cover of the <laughs> Human League version, a cover of the original. Is there uh, a name for that when it's a cover of a cover? I, I don't know. There should be. Yeah, there should be. We should invent it yeah. and, and say it. That's the track that uh, attracted Virgin Records to them. They so, turned up, yeah, and they turned up to a, a show... And they played that, and it was the thing that caught. Really? I think it was Simon Draper's ear. Yeah, he was. Ah. He was interested that they chose to do that in the manner in which they did it. It was. It was great. I. I, I did really like. That's how I first heard that song. Was the human was version? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that and and the same with. Um, so what happened when you heard the original? Well, I thought that was fabulous too. Right. Um, same with nightclubbing, the Iggy Pop track which I first heard the Human League cover version of in was that on the Holiday 80 EP, I think. And, uh, or was it on that double single they did? 
Uh, there's the so many things like that, aren't there? There's so many tracks. I heard something. I was listening to the radio at the weekend, and there was. I didn't realise that that Beyonce "Crazy in Love." Oh yeah, is an old soul sample. You it know is. the riff in it. It's, I um, didn't know that. Oh god, I couldn't. I just who is it? Is it the? Oh, if only there was some sort of pocket device that you could look up these things. Is on it the highlights? I can't remember. It's something. It's, it's one of the but it's a straight, it's early a st- soul. Sort of, yeah. Right, the main crazy, riff. Yeah, the Crazy Enough is pretty much a cover version of this wow. song. It's just that, it's that big riff. I did not know that. And she just yeah, does yeah, the, it is, yeah. Uh, uh, oh, there you go, there's another one, yeah. you see? So I, I now am discovering that I'm going to have to go and listen to the original. Yeah, no, I love all that, though. I think this, and, uh, when you hear stuff... Oh, I'm yeah. really annoyed that I can't think who did that, really. <laughs> anyway, let's yeah. move on, because we, we could well be here several days well, if we could, I remember and that. we're sort of talking about... But anyway, yeah, what the was about going to see Heaven 17 other than they were very good and they, they also did Circus of Death and A Crow and a Baby and Being Boiled, um, was that Martin Ware was wearing a coat that looked decidedly similar to the coat that Alex Delage was wearing. Wasn't he wearing his wearing. blue leather jacket? No, uh, he was wearing his extravagantly 1970s version of the future wide-lapelled Alex Delage oh, yeah. out of Clockwork oh, Orange wow. coat until it got too hot. And then he wandered off and came back on with a blue sparkly coat. I have to say that Martin Weir is an extremely well-dressed man. He's a stylish geezer. And I think maybe we should do a fashion shoot with him or something. Martin, if you're listening, (laughs) perhaps you'd like to do a fashion shoot. Anyway, we've digressed again. Yes, we have, and we still haven't really... Anyway, so the Clockwork Orange soundtrack was an absolutely critical moment, I think, in British electronic music history and... um, of course, it was Wendy Carlos, so, and it's 50 years since the release of uh, the Wendy Carlos first album, which switched on Bach. did all of the, the Bach stuff, which is an absolutely incredible record. It, that record is so ubiquitous. I mean, if you walk into any charity shop, you will find a copy probably for about a quid. Um, and there are... And in a way, that, that that's kind of overwhelmed the work that it is. It, because it, if you listen to it again, it is absolutely incredible the way she used what was a really, really difficult machine to operate and get sounds out of, and then to multi-track it. Bear in mind that was a monophonic piece of kit. That was it. You, you couldn't uh, do polyphony. So she was um, just building it one note at a time one track at a time yeah, and incredible. yeah we've got a lost interview with her as well yeah, which, which is, is quite a coup it really is brilliant yeah she's quite hilarious actually she, she, she doesn't uh, suffer fools she doesn't hold back she says what she thinks she says what she thinks and, and, and there's an end to it she's uh, yeah. amazing but it's really interesting person. the period that she did it the writer Joe Silver who's based in Atlanta he, he writes very eloquently about the period in which she did that it was in the late 90s where she wasn't really revered she was just a you know mm. <clears throat> she was this kind of synthy sorceress and had, had done some stuff and uh, she was available for some press and he was offered up for a chat and and had a great chat with her yeah interviews never seen the light of day until now yeah it's a really it's a really nice little interview with her well quite a big interview with her and also we've got a, a little bark catalogue, as we've called it. I thank you. Um, which is a bit of a, a delve into uh, 
the Wendy Carlos back catalogue as well, which is some yeah, of that stuff is really quite hard to get, though, isn't it? It really, yes, yeah, some of, some of it's really tricky to get hold of. But it's all pretty much all out of print, isn't it? Yeah, because uh, she reissued a whole load of stuff um, in the late nineties, uh, which was yeah. when this interview was around those reissues. She started a reissue thing with a quite a small independent label because she owns everything now. I think she's sort of wrestled it all back from from the major label. She was on Columbia, I think, um, Eastside Digital, uh, and did this release schedule. So lots of stuff came out. The Clockwork Orange soundtrack was re-released with, with extra stuff, which was really great. And stuff on CD for the first time as well. Yeah, beautifully mastered, because uh, she's a real sort of audio, you know, stickler. So, that, that you know, I, I can imagine the process they went through to, to okay those masters. And they're really great. And there was the Rediscovering Lost Scores. There's two volumes of those. So all the stuff from The Shining, which Kubrick basically ditched, uh, is on there. Extra stuff from Clockwork Orange. Some Tron stuff that wasn't used. Loads of stuff. Those two CDs are really difficult to get hold of. And then, you know, once once they sold, that was it. They've never been redone. The, the license has expired with Eastside Digital. So I spoke to the guy who runs the label, and he said, yeah, Good luck getting in touch with her because I can't. And um, well, I mean, we have tried though. We There's have. A, there is a website. And yeah. There is an email address. On I there. think I've written an, an, an email once every six months, saying, "Hi, would you like to have a chat?" But I don't think she's. Um, I don't know. We have quite a list of people like that. Oh, we do. <laughs> yeah. There you go. But it's always as, never has, give al up. as has always been the case. It's there have been people you kind of want to talk to and. Every now and again, you ping off an email or yep. get another. You just keep trying. Paul McCartney. I've been trying since 1997 to get an interview with him. One of these days. <laughs> if you're listening, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps you'd like to do a fashion shoot this as well, Paul. <laughs> um, we should, before we move uh, on to other things in the issue, we should talk about our... Um, we've got a CD uh, bundled up with this, this month's mag. Um, a CD called New Clockwork Music. And Mark, you you're the the brains behind this one. You want to talk to me a bit more about um, about what what, yeah. what this is? Because it's quite. It's, <clears throat> I have to say, I think it's one of the best things we've done. It's, it's terrific. I would agree. I think it's absolutely yeah. brilliant. And um, I think I had again. It was around this idea that Clockwork Orange soundtrack was this critical moment. And I thought, wouldn't it be marvelous if we got some artists to create a new piece of music? Not copying it, not covering it, but just using it as a springboard, as a sort of uh, creative space within which to work. The film and Wendy's music for the film. So sort of thinking about those things, maybe imagining some new music for a scene or, or just, you know, whatever comes to you. And, and my brief to the artists was, was that vague because I didn't really want to... How do you sort of give a tighter brief than that? And um, we knocked it out to all sorts of people and Blamange, Finney Flex, Chris Carter, Gabe Guernsey from Factory Floor, Sinky Teeth, Scanner, Jack Dangers, Globo, um, and Kumo, which is uh, John O'Podmore, all did tracks, all completely independently of each other, and they're, they're just amazing. That Kumo track is quite something. The Kumo one is. It's got it's, Beethoven in it. It's just absolutely. <laughs> Such a stormer! It really there, is. There, there isn't. I mean, they're all great. They're, they're, I have to say, every single one of those tracks is fabulous. Um, yeah, the Finiflex track I really like. 
Um, didn't recognise it. Didn't recognise it being being Finney, Finney Flex Finney Tribe to begin with. But then it kind of <coughs> when the chanting starts starts coming in. You go, oh yeah, I know I this so. is. It's, it's brilliant, yeah. And we've got a lovely version of um, that Purcell music, which is the opening music to the, to the film by Globo, which I really like. And little bits of, of experimental music in between each track as well, which kind of ties it, ties it all together. Um, and it came together just brilliantly. Um, so, so, yeah. Really, and you can only really get it, you, can only, you can't you get this um, uh, in the shops. You can only get this through... Um, our website www.electronicsound.co.uk um, bundled up with the issue for a bargain price um, not to be missed Should incidentally we, um, the, the, uh, on Synthesizer Dave's page we've got a, an ARP 2600 that he's fixing and that is Jono's 2600 which uh, we for a day sneaked off to the studio and um, the, those little bits in between tracks are actually uh, Synthesizer Dave and some friends largely mucking around with Under John name Arp 2600. That's yeah. the, the, the name Goggly Goggle. Which, which, if you're a clockwork orange freak, you will know. You'll know where that came from. You'll know where from. that came from. Cool. Brilliant. So, um, good stuff. Neil, what else have we got Well, in the issue? Should we talk about Benj? Yeah, let's talk about Benj. Uh, Benj, as people will know, is part of Wrangler, it's where we first, I think that's where we first met him, wasn't it? Mm. Well, no, where we first that, met no. John Fox and the Math. Well, of course, yeah. yeah. And uh, he's kind of a, he's a, seems to be the go-to producer for many electronic acts. So he produces, he's worked with Blamange and um, all sorts of people. And he lives in, he lives in Cornwall these days. His studio is, used to be in a, Basement in Hoxton, just around the corner from Hoxton Square. This tiny little basement just packed with synths. And he's since decamped to this kind of Bond villain type gaff on the edge of Bodmin Moor. And so we sent uh, Stephen Dodson and our photographer Piers Allardyce down there on an endless trip. Piers did it in a day, round trip from London, 500 miles I think <laughs> it was, because he wanted to take some lights with him. This is Piers Allardyce who has photographed the Queen. Yes, that's right. I yes. think his portrait of the Queen is in the National Portrait Gallery, isn't it? Is it? I think so, yeah. I think he's got one in there. Yeah, he's <laughs> Fab. <laughs> anyway, sorry, do go on. But yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, the pictures are, the pictures are incredible. It's like it's an at-home piece, isn't well, it? Exactly. It's kind of yeah, it's at home with Benj. And the, there's pictures of him lounging in his lounge. <laughs> and then there's pictures of him in his new studio, which is quite a sight. <laughs> Yeah, it's just the, the the John Grant album that he's just produced, Love Is Magic, is just fantastic. I think that's uh, it's an album that I find myself waking up when I wake up in the middle of the night and I've got a song going through my head. It keeps being right. tracks from that album. So yeah, he's he's um, it's not just the sort of collection of synths he has, although that's very attractive. But he's got he's I don't know what it is he brings to Well there's a certain the Connie artists. Connie Plankism. Definitely. It's this yeah, idea yeah. that he you know, he's this people I mean he says in the piece, you know, people travel to him. And apparently there's a place in the garden where people stay. People coming down to record. There's a you know an outhouse, I'd imagine it's probably quite nice. But there's that idea that they will, you know, he's so good 
little travel there, and there's something about him that mm. just you know he's not he's not just an engineer. I mean, Connie Plank was in a rural, yeah, middle exactly. in the middle of nowhere, and people yeah. would descend on him from uh, from all over. And uh, but yeah, bloody hell, Cornwall's hard to get to, though, isn't it? Well, <laughs> yeah, that's what Piers said. The words <laughs> to that effect the following day. You think you've already gone quite far, yeah. and then they're still further. You just keep going, and the roads yeah. keep getting narrower, don't they? But when I was living in Somerset, it was a long way from there, <laughs> and you're all, yeah. you know. <laughs> Yeah, you see, Somerset's virtually next door, as far as I'm concerned. Well, almost, yeah. Uh, could see Benja's dog in there as well. We do like to get a dog in every issue. We've dogs lately, if we can. Been a bit dog light, haven't we? We have been a bit dog light, so, um, yeah. Do something about To get that. a mutt in there, a hairy mutt. Um, so, yeah, the, uh, good stuff. And uh, we've got a, t- a piece about the Top of the Pops albums of the... Uh, of the 70s, the budget cover albums that, um, if you're a certain age, you would have um, bought from Woolworths or wherever for 69p. I think that's what they cost. Um, actually, they probably cost um, sort of uh, de- uh, pre-decimal money. What was it called, pre-decimal money? Goodness me. What was it called? I don't know. Was Pound, it? shillings and pence. Yeah, was it, did it have a name? I don't know. Imperial. Imperial, was it? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway... Um, <laughs> They're old, these records, aren't we? We're talking about a long time ago, in a way. 12D. 12D, yeah. Um, and the Top of the Pops albums, which were recorded by uh, a, a sort of a, a fluid group of session musicians, uh, and they were covers of the day. And I must admit that when I was a kid and I was buying these, because it was a lot of, a lot of kids bought them, because it was, it was the way that you accessed having this music. You know, you'd hear the stuff on radio... Radio 1 in the charts or maybe on Top of the Pops and you'd go and buy a Top of the Pops album which had nothing to do with Top of the Pops the BBC TV programme No, see, this was in the days before the BBC guarded their intellectual property yeah, absolutely. trademarks like absolutely. they do now I mean, they just, yeah. and, and they, were, they had always had a sort of skint, scam, scantily dressed lady on the cover mm. um, but the, 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 co- the tracks themselves I remember buying like Probably I'd probably bought about three of them before I kind of started going. Hang on a minute, this sounds a bit different to how I heard it on the radio. Um, but they tried to get as close as they they could, and the guy who put it together was um, a guy called Bruce Baxter. Is that right, Mark? Uh, yes. Yeah. The early volumes were overseen by Alan Crawford, um, and uh, yeah, I think Bruce Baxter was. Uh, also yeah, he was the late. Yeah, he was the late period. Right, and they came out on Pickwick Records, so I remember. Yeah, well, Hallmark, which was a division of Pickwick. Right, Pickwick, if only Pickwick. there was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's really interesting how they came, how they came together because it wasn't. They would decide on what with these things were turned around really quickly. Yeah. So they'd decide on a on a running order, then they'd literally go up to Woolworths, buy all the singles. <laughs> Work out, work out how they were played for the for the mu- for the musicians and transcribe the lyrics as well. Yeah, because there was no, you know, there was no. You didn't just go on the internet and go. Nah, nah, nah. You, you couldn't wait it. for those. Ma- you see, there were magazines that printed lyrics, weren't there as well? That came out. I can't remember 
you couldn't wait for them to come out. Uh, disc was one, maybe disc. I can't yeah. remember. Yeah, I mean, Smash Hits used to do that. Smash Hits did it. Yeah, yeah. So it was a little bit before Smash Hits. Forty-five or something. Yeah, there was. It was like really horrible newsprint. Yeah, yeah. Kind of <laughs> yeah. One color. One color. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, brilliant. Um, so yeah, a, a really fascinating article about this. And but it's written by it's written by Terry Wilson, who runs. Uh, I mean, he's the uh, he's the world expert on these <laughs> albums. He's got an amazing website that's just full of full of his knowledge and research about these these records. And he's a yeah, he's a fine chap. So it's a really really interesting piece. And uh, and if you if you don't know this already, which you, you may do. Um, we have uh, we just put out or just putting out a um, a compilation of all of the David Bowie tracks that were on the Top of the Pops albums, um, the Top of the Poppers sing, which was the name of the band mm-hmm. with a mouthful. The Top of the Poppers sing and play the hits of David Bowie. Um, nine tracks on there, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Um, some of them are um, are quite incredible. A couple of them are very very ropey. Um, but it's a fantastic kind of artifact, the idea of bringing these all together. Um, they even had a stab at Heroes. <laughs> it's on the album, it's incredible. Yes. But, you know, the, the version of Life on Mars, there's an orchestra. Yeah. So, that, you know, the, the, the idea that they were, which they kind of were these cut-rate, knock-off records, and yet, yeah. at the same time, a loss of care... Was was put into them, and and um, if you listen, for example, I mean, one of the most amazing ones they did uh, was the Kraftwerk cover of Autobahn, which you know they like you say you know they they recorded it within weeks of the original coming out, just by listening to it, and they re- managed to reproduce it, and it's it's really faithful, incredibly well done. But the David Bowie collection, when you hear them all together, um, is is quite something actually. So we've we've put this out as a standalone album on purple vinyl, um, an ideal Christmas present for the uh, David Bowie fan Absolutely. in your life. Um, it's it's yeah, it's so an interesting and and the thing about it as well is that um, Bowie himself was quite a, quite a fan of some of these versions, wasn't he? Well. Uh, we, uh, from our research yes. and our contacts, yes. we discovered, uh, which kind of set the ball rolling in a way, um, that certain people for uh, a Christmas, two, I can't remember what year it was, 2001, was I it? think it was, yeah, um, put together a CD of, of all of these tracks and had it remastered at uh, Abbey Road. Yeah. Did 50 copies? Yeah, 50 copies. Distributed. Gave it to Bowie and, uh, and some of his closest which, friends. Which he thought was magnificent. And he's, yeah, they put a, an imitation Bowie. That's right. Bowie yeah. lookalike on the cover. Yeah. Um, who, who was vaguely notorious back in the, the mid 70s. Yeah, yeah. So we've, 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 we've kind of gone for a very simple cover for ours. No scantily clad lady and no Bowie lookalike. Um, it's a yeah. I think it's a nice it's a nice artifact. I think that's well, what it is, isn't it? It's a cultural artifact. Yeah, which I mean, those, what, those records were. What we wanted to do with it was to make it um, give it give it its due in a way. I mean, they've always been the, the sort of bust of a joke, and to a certain extent, that's that's kind of fair enough because of the original artwork and because of the sort of knockoff quality of it and the fact that they released one every six weeks. Yeah. 
and they they were allowed to be in the charts for a while, and then they had to stop it because they <laughs> just were, they just took up the whole of the top ten. <laughs> so they 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 sort of hived them off into a different chart, so they wouldn't do that anymore. But I think they represent something really really interesting about British pop music in the nineteen seventies and how it was understood at the time. I mean now, and we are a part of this as a magazine. We celebrate um, past eras and and look at them afresh and, and uh, dissect them and appreciate them and as time has passed a lot of these things have gained this huge sense of importance but at the time that really wasn't what was going on in pop music it was seen as a very ephemeral thing that even many of the artists themselves didn't think it would last very long I mean Ringo Starr famously said, you know, I think we might be going for three or four years and then I'm going to buy a chain of hairdressers. You know, he had no idea that 50 years later we'd yeah. be worshipping the White Album or yeah. Sgt Pepper. It, 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 even the Beatles didn't realise yeah. that. And certainly in the 70s, I don't think there was, there was much value placed on it. It's why the BBC kept wiping all of the performances. Yeah. Oh, we, no, no one's going to be interested in this stupid pop stuff. And I think the Top of the Pops albums were a part of that kind of disregard for pop music. And yet they put all of this effort into it. And I think now they stand up and they're, they're fascinating to listen to. And if you were around in those days, they kind of it's a peculiar experience yeah. to re-listen to them and, and remember that these things were part of the cultural flow of the 1970s. Um, and that, you know, if you'd, you'd never find stuff like this now. No. Well, except here we are. Here we go. We, and again, <laughs> available only from us. Yeah. Um, Electronicsound.co.uk, I'll say it again. Um, so, yes, fabulous stuff. And other things as well. Barry Adamson in this issue. Yes, yeah. Bit John Grant, he's in Bit there. Bit John Grant, yeah, first and last and always, which is one of our regular columns in the back section. We have some really nice columns. You do a little label profile. You do a little piece called Buried Treasure, which is those records that only you seem to know about. Not those records that you love. And Me? Not you. Oh. You don't like music. No. I've got a sore ear. Have I mentioned it recently? No, you haven't, no. You tell us about it later. Okay. So, yeah, John Grant's in there picking his first, the first record he bought, the last record he bought, and the one he always turns to, and they're three really, really fine choices. <laughs> I won't spoil it. <laughs> Anything else? Anything else? Well, lots else, really. Um, but I think we're probably, we're probably getting towards being out of time, aren't we? I um, think we probably are. So, um, check it out. Shall I say the website address again? Yeah, yeah. go on. Electronicsound.co.uk for all your electronic music needs. <laughs> um, thanks for listening. We'll, um, we'll speak to you again probably just before Christmas. So um, make sure you go out there and get all your prezzies and your cards. Don't do what I'm going to do and wait until Christmas Day and suddenly remember that you haven't done it. <laughs> that would be very late. I did do that. Christmas Day? Yeah, I was... Yeah. <laughs> I was in a, I was in a strange place full of multicoloured things. Okay. Yep. Toys R Us. Yeah. <laughs> That's where it should have been. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Baby. I thought it was Christmas Eve still. <laughs> Why? Can you drink? Can you drink?
That was good, I think. That was